So we are, we are in our big idea for this week in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20. If you'd open your Bibles there uh, or get a gadget out and ready to go, Revelation chapter 20 is where we're at. Worship, watch, and warn the revelation of Jesus Christ. I remind us as a church, this is not the revelation of an antichrist. It's not a revelation of a beast or it's not a revelation of a false prophet. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming again. If you're a Christian, if you're a saved individual today, you have nothing to fear. The only thing you should be taking from this is motivation. Motivation to warn others. It's been continually dark as we've talked through what's coming. I'm thankful, though. There's things to take away to be thankful about. I'm thankful that that God warns us exactly what he's intending to do. There's going to be no surprises. Here is how he will respond as the righteous judge. And then last week, we talked about the second coming of Christ. Remember, we're expecting the next coming of Christ is the rapture. We're expecting Christ to come, not all the way to earth, but in the clouds. Those who are dead in Christ and all of us will will be raptured and taken to heaven. The church age people will be raptured and taken to heaven. We believe there will be seven years of tribulation that will happen on earth that we walked through. Uh, We've talked about all those things that will be happening in heaven and on earth. And now we get to uh, after his second coming where he comes back on the earth Then we get to the beginning of the millennium. So right now we're going to talk about Jesus will reign in the millennium and judge sin at the great white throne judgment. That's where we're at today. Let's pray together. Would you pray this prayer? You don't need to say anything out loud, but if you would just silently say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say horrified. Horrified. Satan should be horrified with this message today because we learned the fate of that dastardly dragon. We learned his, his destiny today and where he will be taken care of once and for all. And so we're in Revelation chapter 20. A key verse coming out of this passage today is, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's what the word millennium means. It's, it's from the Latin, I believe, and it means a thousand, a thousand years. As I say every time when we talk about issues like this, there are different opinions on the millennium. Uh, We believe that the second coming of Christ comes, he comes to earth, we know what happens, he wipes out evil there, and then uh, we know that it begins a thousand year reign. Now, we believe that Christ comes, that second coming, and that starts the thousand year millennium reign of Christ. That's what we believe, I believe, premillennial. Some people are post-millennial. Don't worry about it, I'll try to make it as easy as possible. It depends on what you do with Israel. If you as an individual believe that God has stopped his divine program with the nation Israel, with his chosen people, if you believe that they are no longer his chosen people and that the church has replaced Israel, that's a common thought today, that the Israel is no longer anything to God, 
we have become the new Israel. Uh, I don't believe that at all, uh, but some people believe that. If you believe in that, then you would, might believe that we go through the millennium because it's the church that did everything. The church um, was so effective that we reign for a thousand years and then Christ comes. Uh, so that would be a post-millennial Christ returns at that. I don't believe that's true. There's also amillennialist. There are people that believe there is no such thing as a millennium. Um, that as many times as this mentioned, six times in this one passage alone, it was just poetry or artistry. I don't know what you want to call it. Some people believe that it, it, it just doesn't exist. I can understand that because of the difficulty that comes with uh, believing in a literal thousand-year reign. And there's some difficulties. Not not like it's not there. It's just the reality of people and where we're all at. Because there are saved and unsaved from all the way back at creation. There are saved and unsaved from the church age. And then there are believers that came to Christ in the tribulation. It gets messy. Matter of fact, everybody say messy. So during this thousand years, where's everybody at? That's the question. Where's everybody at? What's everybody doing? And I think I can appreciate the group that says, ah, let's just throw that aside. There's no millennium. <laughs> uh, however, I'm a literalist. And when I interpret the Bible, I don't just throw things to the side that are uncomfortable or hard to understand. It's mentioned six times literally, not figuratively in Revelation 20. And so I believe there's going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth before this earth is destroyed and the great white throne judgment happens and then the new heavens and the new earth in our final destiny. Are you with me? Say maybe. Thank you for being honest. So let's, let's get into today, okay? We'll go with me. Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've been through the seal judgments. We've been through the trumpet judgments. We've been through the bowl judgments. We saw the fall of Babylon. And then we have the second coming of Christ. And now we are with the millennium and the great white throne judgment. So let's start with that. Revelation 20. Let me read verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Let's deal with those first three verses. We find that the second coming of Christ happens, and we immediately have Satan being dealt with. So Satan's confinement first. We have that holy angel who holds the key to the abyss. Remember, I don't remember what chapter it was, but remember back in one of the judgments, I think it was a trumpet judgment, there was an angel holding a key, and, they, and the angel opened the abyss, and out of that came those locusts. Whew, we won't go back there. Blonde hair, remember? Crazy locusts. So we won't worry about that. But the angel had that key. We don't know which angel. The Bible doesn't indicate that this is Michael or Gabriel. We don't know which angel. And that's probably God's wisdom because Satan is capable and roaming today. And if he knew which angel has a key and which angel was going to deal with him uh, and do this, he might be attacking him. Uh, like Satan did to Jesus when Jesus was here, he came and tempted him in the wilderness. And so I think that in God's divine program, he hasn't identified who this angel. The angels might not even know which angel gets to get the key to open this abyss. But we do find an angel holding a key to the abyss. And the angel holds a great chain. 
We do understand that, that angels are not created beings like human beings. They are created beings, but uh, there's no steel chain, earth made, that's going to bind Satan. And so this is called, it's called a great chain. So we know that this chain is something that God has in mind to confine Satan. What do we have about Satan's description here? Well, we got four names that the Bible gives here. Uh, He's called the dragon. No offense, Lake Orion. Where are Lake Orion dragons? Any Lake Orion dragons here? I am so sorry, Lake Orion dragons. You bunch of Satan people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we go to restaurants, and I love to get the dragon burger. I just, no problem with Lake Orion. Uh, but, but I wouldn't want to be called the dragons, uh, especially when the Bible's talking about Satan. And it talks about him as a dragon, as a personal and political power. But then it talks about him as that old serpent. The devious deceiver from the garden. Remember the Garden of Eden when Satan came as a serpent and he tempted. And Adam and Eve both sinned and we know that. He's a devious deceiver. That becomes important because Satan is going to try that deceiving trick once again. We'll hear that today. Then he's called the devil. The devil has the, uh, the mentality of an accuser or a betrayer. We know that he's called the accuser of the brethren. Um, Satan will always be whispering in your ear that you're a failure. Satan's always going to be whispering in your ear that you don't, you don't mean enough. You don't, you're not worthy enough. You didn't do it right. God doesn't love you. He's always going to be whispering these things to all the believers. Don't fall for it. Don't listen. Do you hear me? Everybody say yes. Don't listen to him. You are loved. You are worthy. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. What else could he do? He loves you. Whenever Satan whispers in your ear that you're not worthy and that God doesn't love you because you're a failure, don't listen to it. He loves you so much, he gave everything to redeem you. The devil, the accuser, the betrayer, and then Satan, our adversary. Those are the four connotations that we have about him here in Revelation 20. And then we got the restriction. The restriction actually happens. So Christ comes down to earth. He's in Jerusalem. I believe the Bible mentioned he goes through the eastern gate in Jerusalem. And there we have Satan is bound, cast, locked, and sealed. We got that angel with the key. Opens the abyss. The great chain, whatever that confinement is, the angel puts him in. And and by the way, angels aren't superior to other angels. Satan is an angel of light. And so an angel can't bind Satan. So it's only on God's power that Satan is bound, cast, locked, and sealed, and put away. Everybody say amen. Amen. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if he wasn't free and roaming right now, whispering evil things, tempting uh, all, all, all the things that Satan does in this world. He, he, he's having a field day in our world today. You can see how he has the title deed, right? Christ is getting it back. That title deed belongs to God. Christ did everything he needed to do to redeem that title deed. But right now, where we are, Satan's having a heyday on you and me and everybody else. It's awful. It's awful. But he's going to be bound, cast, Locked and sealed. Say those four things with me. Bound, cast, locked, sealed. It just feels good to say it. And he's going to be there for a thousand years, which that makes the millennium special. Can you imagine a world where there is no death, there is no disease, the consequences of sin aren't present, and there is no evil one that can even cast uh, doubts like he did? Remember when he came to Eve? Did God really say 
You know, Satan didn't come and just say, hey, God, no. You know, he started with, did, did God really mean this? I don't, maybe let's think about it. Just a little bit of seeds. Can you imagine a world where that never happens? Where righteousness and peace for a thousand years. Well, the Bible talks about him. He's, he's bound there in the abyss for a thousand years, which eliminates the intentional deception during the time of peace and righteousness during the millennium. That's what we've seen in verses 1 through 3. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 4, I want to highlight. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. So there's not just those that have been beheaded. Some people miss that verse 4. that talks about they and them. It's talking about us as believers. Church age. Jesus told um, his, his disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones. He told uh, Peter that he would judge with him. He, he, there was many messages that went out about us, the church age. And then God adds those people that went through the tribulation and, and were beheaded. We know that their spirit is in heaven and they are in a special place with God. They get resurrected at the beginning of the millennium. They have a resurrected body. And then we go into the millennium. This gets really confusing, I know. Just wait. We believe the millennium kingdom, I believe I should say, that it is a literal 1,000 year period. Why? It's the fulfillment of the prayer in Luke eleven two, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Why else? Because the promises of the Davidic covenant finalized in Luke one thirty two. We hear about that. If we believe... That Israel is God's chosen people and he still has a divine program he will finish with them. If you believe that God is who he says he is and won't change his character and his mind and won't go back on his word, well then you believe that we are not Israel. We do not replace. I don't, I don't believe in replacement theology. That Israel is Israel. We are the church age and God will finish his work with Israel. And the Davidic covenant, in order for it to be fulfilled, he must reign from the throne of David. Let's look at Luke one thirty-two. I believe. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. When Jesus was here for 33 and a half years, the three years he ministered, he did not sit on David's throne. He didn't rule. He didn't come as king. Remember, remember how he came in the incarnation? As a baby. Remember how he came into Jerusalem? Not on that white horse we talked about last week. He came on a donkey. He came as a servant. Everybody say servant. So he did not sit on the throne of David when he came. He, he was a servant. But when he comes back again at the second coming, he will come as king. And he will sit on that throne. If we believe that he fulfills the covenants then he must do these things. So that's about the millennium. So who are the rulers 
and who are the ruled in the millennium. Okay, friends, look at me in the eyeballs. Listen, I love you. I don't want you to hate me today. I'm going to say some things today that I've debated whether I should say out loud or not. Nobody talks about most of these things, and it's going to make some of your... Some of your heads are going to explode. I remember months ago, I happened to make that comment that nobody right now is in heaven or hell. Remember I made that comment? There is no such thing as, as heaven and hell right now. There's Hades and paradise. Remember I said that? Because heaven and hell are future events, and there has to be judgments for people to be sent there. And everybody went home and said, Pastor said grandma's not in heaven. <laughs> okay, listen. I just want to retract and, and make sure you understand this. The Bible uses the term heaven pretty loosely. And technically, theologians, eggheads who like to read lots of words, we like to be very specific. And so when somebody dies, if you're a believer and you die, the Bible makes it clear that if you're a believer and you die, you are in the presence of the Lord. We call that paradise. You're with the presence. If you want to call that heaven, you're okay. I'm not going to fight you. Don't come beat me up. If you want to call that heaven, you can call that heaven. But technically, it's paradise. It is a, a place where we're waiting for the final judgments. But it's going to be heaven-like. It's all good. Grandma's happy. It's all good. Okay? People don't go to hell when they die today. Old Testament people that died, they don't go to hell. There's a place called Hades. I won't get into Hades. I won't talk about the levels and the places in Hades. Let's just say Hades. It's not hell. But it is an incar- incarceration point right now for the unbelievers. Okay? So then we got to start talking about in the millennium, where's everybody at? (laughs) We've got saved people from the Old Testament, unsaved people from the Old Testament. We've got saved people from the church age, unsaved people from the church age, believers who were beheaded during the tribulation, and believers who never died and lived through the tribulation. So I'm going to give you this as a side note. And I'm going to say, in case you get angry, this is for free. Okay, so you don't get your money back. I'm just telling you right now, this part's for free. And I'm just doing this for everybody's benefit because I thought, my goodness, I've got to put a slide up to explain this. Old Testament believers, before Christ came, before the church age, Old Testament believers, currently their spirit, not their bodies, but their spirit and soul is in paradise. What I mentioned before, you want to call that heaven, you're okay. They will be resurrected pre-millennium. They will have a body, physical body, with their soul pre-millennium. Christ's return, second coming, they get a body. Church-age believers, I hope that's me and you. Because as you, as you go through all these options, this is my option. I want this option really badly. Church-age believers, currently, when we die, paradise. Technically, you're in Ortonville right now, not paradise, but close. Uh, But when you die in the church age, your spirit, soul, goes to paradise with the presence of the Lord like heaven. During the rapture, when Christ comes again, the next thing on the the tribulation or the uh, timeline, when Christ comes again, the horns will blow, the shout will go, we will take off, and we will have a resurrected body at that point, at the rapture. Tribulation martyrs, these are people who were beheaded because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast and they stood for the word of the Lord. Special place in God's heart for them. They lost their lives. Their spirit is currently in par or will be currently in paradise, okay? But they will be resurrected, get their body with their soul at premillennial. Tribulation believers, now here's what we hardly ever talk about. There are some 
that make it all the way through the seven years and don't take the mark of the beast. They don't worship the Antichrist. They stand for the word of the Lord and they survive. They are human. They are like you and me, born with a sin nature, but exist and survive. They're a whole different they have natural bodies, resurrected death. Some point there's, there's a death. It says, God says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But they are, they, they're alive at the end of the tribulation and Christ comes back. I'll just leave a question mark for that point. Whew, the unsaved. Currently, their spirit or soul is in Hades. Resurrected post-millennium. At the end of the millennium, at the great white throne judgment, their bodies and souls unite, and that's where the great white throne judgment happens. There's a resurrection. That's why in Revelation it says the first resurrection, the second resurrection. I just want you to know where all these people are because it makes a big difference when I talk about the millennial. We skip right over the part where it says we will rule with Christ during the millennial age. We like that, but have you ever stopped to wonder who is there to rule? Who is there to rule? Okay, friends. As I understand it, I'm going to take a drink first. Oh, my goodness. Whew. As I understand it, the humans like you and I who survived the tribulation and are alive when Christ comes back will stay on this earth and they will be the ruled. We will come back with Christ we're resurrected. We have the resurrected bodies and souls. We will come back and we will reign with Christ over those humans on the earth. If you play that out, you need to understand that they have a sin nature. It's important for you to understand. For a thousand years, there's going to be people living here. A thousand years is a long time. How long has America been around? Where's my history teachers? 200 some years? I'll give us three, but we're not even a third other way to a thousand years, as long as our country's been here. Imagine a world, Satan's been bound, cast, locked and sealed, he's in the abyss. He has no function, he is incarcerated and has no power, locked away. Christ comes, rules, we rule with him, but there's all these humans with a sin nature that are on this planet. They will give birth and This planet will be filled again very quickly because without death and disease and dying, (laughs) population explosion, okay? So we'll be reigning with Christ. They will be here during that time. That's important for you to comprehend as we get to what happens and know who we're talking about in just a moment. So the final rebellion. Let's go to verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, So we've been reigning with Christ again. I don't know for sure, but we are in our glorified bodies. We got those at the rapture. That's why my other pastors, uh, Pastor Spencer from Battle Creek, he believed because of that, we are not bound by anything. We can, like Superman, take off and fly into the Grand Canyon. We can go to Hawaii. We can just travel and do all the things we wanted to do. I don't think the humans here can do that. That's why I say, I want to be a New Testament believer that's raptured and with Christ and come back with her. I don't want to be alive and have to make it through the tribulation and then be stuck for a thousand years without being able to fly. That's just my opinion, okay? So let's keep going. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from its prison and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. 
Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. When you read that, you've got to figure out, who. I thought we were done with fire. What you're hoping? What you're kind of saying? I thought we were done with fire. Everything's good. Satan's cast and locked. And what? He's not done anything for a thousand years. Sin nature. Sin nature. If you have your hard time wrapping your mind around this, can I remind you that Adam and Eve were in a perfect garden? Perfect. Had everything, every need. They walked with God. They had fellowship with Him. It was great. It was perfect. But sin. Sin entered the world. And death by sin, because sin entered the world, all men are sin cursed. You're born with a sin problem. If you're here today and you're struggling with, I'm not that bad, okay, you can be really, really good, but you've got a sin nature, and that sin nature has to be dealt with. You're not perfect. Nobody here is perfect. Because we have sin, that's why God sent Jesus to die on a cross. And so we need his forgiveness of sin. Those human Beings that make it through the tribulation enter a thousand year and they, they have babies, they have babies, and they have babies. Have you noticed how things kind of degenerate? In the Bible, you have Old Testament saints who are incredible. They did incredible things for God. And we hear their stories and it's amazing. And we're wowed by them. But then, if you pay attention, the Bible then starts talking about the next generation. Their kids quite often just don't get it. And quite often, the kids of the giants of our faith, their kids are a little less devoted to God. And then, by the time you get to the third seat, you've got a real drift. I mean when it gets further away from extreme devotion, sometimes there's no closeness to God at all. and It's hard to believe. Friends, David is my hero in the Bible. I love David. I named my son Joshua David Jackson, two heroes of the faith. But David, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, but boy, he, he, he was close with God. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in the depths of Hades, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea... Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I'll stop there. David was an incredible poet, but had an incredible relationship with his God. Close. Even though he was a sinner, he walked with God. His kids, not so much. David had some problem with rebellious kids. Kids that had kids that had kids that didn't even even know the Lord. 
My heart breaks when you see David in his older age and his son tempted his stepbrother to rape his stepsister. And you've got a a whole passage where Tamar, one of David's daughters, is raped by one of David's sons. And it's heartbreaking. It's wrenching to me to, to think that my hero who walked so closely with God, struggled to get the next generation to walk with God, and the next generation barely even knew God. That's what I mean by degeneration. Things get worse. And so I want you to imagine a millennium, a millennium where they made it through the tribulation, devout to God. These are incredible people that had incredible faith, and yet their children, and then their children, and then their children, as we go through many generations, it's been far removed now. You get 500 years into a 1,000-year period, and those kids being born are just being told stories about what happened. And they're like, and they're in a nice world. There's no temptation. There. You'd think everything would be great, but do you realize because of sin nature, those humans that are going to be in the millennium need to come to faith in Christ. Many of them are just going to be living in a time of peace, and they're just going to comply. And we're going to find out that when Satan is loosed, immediately he has the power to deceive them because they're far from God. Sounds like between David and his offspring and then the millennial kings that survived the tribulation and their offspring falling, we ought to talk about today. Because today it's very true that grandma and grandpa might have been devout following the Lord and and then their kids came along and kind of mocked them for that and they believed but they weren't really as devoted and into that and, and they would call themselves saved and spiritual but then as you get further down you start to see a further walking away from the things of the Lord and it happens in the Old Testament it happens in the millennium and it definitely is happening right now and if you find yourself in the third seat, so far from God today. Can I, can I encourage you not to, not to have the faith of your parents, not to have the faith of your grandparents. You need to own your own faith. You can't live on a borrowed faith. Parents try sometimes to lend their faith to their children, and it just can't be lent. You can't do it. They either have to learn to, to pick up their own faith and own it, or get further and further and further from God. So maybe you've gone far and you find yourself in the third, fourth, or fifth chair away. Today's a great day to consider. Own your own faith. Start a new chain. Break the cycle. Break it. Start a new cycle of following God and making it real in your life today. Because what we have during the millennium is Satan gets loosed. Shouldn't be a problem, right? We let him loose just for a little bit, but what we just read was awful. Satan is freed at the end of the thousand years. He deceives the humans born in the millennium and he leads them into rebellion. You see, they have no direct knowledge of anything that's just been passed down and they have semi-allegiance, but it's just been comply to get by. Comply to get by. I wonder if, you know, David tried to sit everybody down and pray before they ate. (laughs) 
it got harder and harder as the other generations didn't want to bother with that. I wonder how difficult that was. I wonder how difficult it's going to be in the millennium for the grandparents and the parents and then the, to, to keep passing on what Christ has done for us and what he means. When Satan gets loose, those that aren't really in faith, those that have just been complying to get by, living in a society of peace and righteousness, they're going to be easily deceived, just like Eve. All Satan has to do is he gets out, do you really believe this? Do you know, you know, you're really being ruled right now. You know, God and Jesus and all those believers flying off to Hawaii and you've got to take a plane. Can you see how easy it's going to be, I think, for Satan the deceiver to really quickly snatch up many of them? And those that rise up with Satan will be destroyed, the Bible says. At that point, Satan is cast into the lake of fire, joining the Antichrist and the false prophet forever, is what we're told. That brings us to the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what had been done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead and that were in it, and the death, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And here's where we have eternal damnation, and it's a doctrine that is clearly taught in Scripture, but nobody's jumping up and down shouting hallelujah about that. I hope you understand. I'm not one of these fire and brimstone preachers that is like, that's what they deserve. Send them all to hell. No, no, my heart breaks when I talk about hell. I, I don't even like to fathom the reality of an eternity in the lake of fire. Because of its unbelievable difficultness to understand... Many people are walking away from the belief in hell. I am not one of those. Again, I'm a literalist. I believe the Bible teaches and tells us what is true. Um, And so I can't walk away from the fact that there is eternal damnation. I don't think it's to be celebrated. I think it's, it's okay to celebrate the character of God that he will judge righteously. He will do what's right. It's, it's okay to worship God, but to be excited about a reality of hell, I'm far from that. Because of the reality of hell, some people are walking away from eternal damnation and we've gone to annihilism. And and friends, I'm not picking on anybody today. And I've never in this whole series told you what you had to believe. And if you don't believe what I believe, we should still be friends. I hope that doesn't ruin our relationship. But I don't believe in annihilism either. The Bible just simply doesn't teach it. Annihilism would be that once they're thrown in a lake of fire, they're done. They're gone. There's There's nothing. I would like to believe that. I would. That's a much better comforting thought than to think of people for eternity spending in the lake of fire. But the Bible seems to teach that there is an eternity. I don't rejoice in it. All the more reason why we should be inspired to warn people. We have every opportunity now to come to faith in Christ and you don't have to worry about that destiny. Wherever you stand on that, Let's be clear. 
Sin must be judged, and God will judge that. Whether you believe it's an annihilation and they're done, whether you believe in an eternal damnation where they'll forever be in darkness without the presence of God and in suffering and torment. Wherever you fall on that line, let's all agree that God is just and He is right and He will deal with sin. Following the millennium and the final rebellion... It will recur outside this present universe. I hope you noticed there that we went from the second coming. He dealt with some things. And then the Bible kind of indicates that uh, this present earth um, is not where the great white throne takes place. Where does it happen? I don't know, but it's outside of this universe. The unsaved of all ages will be called out of Hades and united with the resurrected bodies. And the unsaved will be judged for lack of justifying faith. And the unsaved are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. The book of life is open and, and your name is there or your name is not there. This morning I can't end any other way but to say, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Make sure your name is there. I don't have time to preach it today. We're wrapping up and just about done. Uh, but I do that whole message on uh, famous people that I know. I talk about, I was Michael W. Smith's bodyguard. Uh, I got to hang out with DC Talk. I, I tell you about all those people, remember? And you're all like, ah. Uh, and then I, at the end I say, I know them. Did I tell you that Tim Hawkins and I were in an elevator together in Tennessee? Did I tell you about that? Yeah, yeah, Tim Hawkins. I could say I know them, these famous people, but I really don't know them. How do I know that I don't know them? I sound like 1 John chapter 3, you should read that. I know that I don't know them because they don't know me. If Michael W. Smith walked in here, he's not going to say, Don, my favorite bodyguard of all time. No, he, he wouldn't remember me. I'm 70 pounds heavier and a lot lighter in the hair department. He wouldn't recognize me. He doesn't know me. My friends from D.C. Talk would not know me. Tim Hawkins definitely wouldn't know me. The question you must answer today about is your name in the book of life is, does God know you as his child? We can spend all day talking about how much you know, but apparently what you know doesn't matter. What God knows matters. There's going to be many people, Matthew 7, look it up, many people on that day of judgment is going to stand before holy God. And what is he going to say? Depart from me because you didn't know me enough. No, that's not what he says. Depart from me because you didn't give enough. That's not what he says. Depart from me because you didn't serve enough. That's not what he says. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Does God know your name? Has there been a time in your life when you've gone to him in faith, complete faith, all in faith, and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as Savior and Lord. That's the moment where your name is written down and he calls you his child. And if he calls you his child, he knows you. He knows you. When Julie and I are at a party yesterday and there's 200 people there and we hear our son's voice, we know him. When we see Josh, he's ours. We know him. Does God know you as his child? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? I can't go any further. Would you do me a favor and everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes? No one's looking around. Can I ask you today, do you need to 
to receive that today. If you've never done that before and you're saying, I need to have my name written down. I need to ask forgiveness of sin. Would you do that by simply just raising your hand and letting me know, PD, I need to do that right now. Would you raise your hand and we can pray. I'll walk you through it. Anybody in this room? If you need to do that, I encourage you to come and see somebody or pray that prayer right now where you sit secure it and know that it's done. Know that you're a child of God. Know that he knows you by name and your name is in the Lamb's book of life. I'd ask my team to come up, the worship team. We're gonna close this out here in just a moment. But Father, I wanna pray. I wanna pray a blessing on your church at Oakwood. These have been difficult days going through Revelation. Hard things that are seldom talked about. And God, we don't claim to know it all. I don't claim to be right about everything. But God, I do pray we'd understand that this is the revelation of Jesus. We're thankful that you've told us your plan. And God, we rejoice in the fact that knowing our salvation is secure. And God, we ask, we ask that if there's anybody here that does not know you, that today would be the day. No more doubts, no more worries, but they would secure their salvation today by asking for forgiveness of sin and coming to you. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. And while I get my guitar on, I want to say may God bless you. May his face shine upon you. And may he give you peace. God bless. You are dismissed.